Amen. Amen. Today in our men's lunch, we're going to finish up a five-week Bible study that we've been on. If you've been here, we've been moving across these five weeks, a study on being a man after God's own heart. We've been looking at the life of King David. It was He's a man that God himself calls a man after his own heart. And our goal across these five weeks, wrapping up today, is to see what that is, what that truly means, what that looks like for a man, a human, a man to be called a man after God's own heart. And we really have a greater goal than that. And that is to see what would it take for us to be able to have the same name, to have the same title. Is that a thing that's even possible? Could that ever be said of one of us that God would say, this one right here, this man right here, he is a man after my own heart. And so that's been our goal over these five weeks, that, that God could say, this is a man after my own heart. Now, let me give you a couple of, of quick points of review before we head into our, our, our lesson today. So far, over the course of these five weeks, we have seen, and we, and we saw it the very first week, that wicked times calls for godly men. And we saw that played out in our verses. Wicked times calls for godly men. And I'll just tell you very honestly, uh, no more time, I believe, has this ever been truer than the age in which we're living in today. We live in an age that calls us as men to blend in. Uh, we live in an age that calls us to compromise. Every time we turn around, it calls us to compromise. We live in an age that calls us as men to, to sell out. And we live in a world that's offering a false hope and a false idea of what success is. And I just want to tell you, more than any other time, it is time for godly men filled with the Holy Spirit of God, led by the truth of God's Word, to actually stand up as men and point to our true living God. Wicked days calls for godly men. Greatest thing that could come out of this steak lunch is that men saved by Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, directed by the Word of God, would say, I'm going to be that man. In a world where political correctness drives us, and all these things are pulling against us, a world that says, here's your goal, that there will be men that would say, I'm going to live according to the direction of what God has said in his word. Wicked days call for godly men. I, I look around today, and I, and I see a lot of the problems going on. And, and look at our, our school system, look at our, our, our government, look at our society, look at our nation, and really, and really we come and say, how do we get to the place we're at? I want to tell you, probably the key thing is that the men of the last several generations, especially my generation, we've gone silent. The men of this generation, we've, we've sold out and we've bought into this lie of what success looks like. And we're not leading in our homes and we're not leading in our churches and we're not leading in our communities. I want to tell you, as we start off again today, wicked times calls for godly men. Second thing we saw, and we saw it in the life of King David, is that it is really a matter of the heart. And that's, that's a hard thing for us to understand. It's really a matter of the heart. Uh, people judge, and our culture judges, the outside of a man. We judge the appearance of a man. More than that, we judge the reputation of a man. And we want some guy, and, he, and he's known to be this, and, and he's a big dog, and he's a big deal. And that's what we embrace as a man in our culture today. People judge according to those standards. But you know what? God, the Bible says, sees the heart. God judges 
the heart. And I'll just tell you, here's the deal today. God's not looking for perfect men. And maybe that's what scares a bunch of us off. God's not looking for perfect men because he's not going to find any perfect men. God's not looking for strong men. Sometimes we think, man, I got to be tougher than everybody else. I got to be a strong man. I want to tell you, at some point, human strength is going to fail. Human strength is going to fall short. He's not looking for strong men. He's not looking for the men that the world would say, there's our leader. That's what our leader looks like. Look at the mess that our leaders have led us to today. See this. Get this today. God is looking for men whose hearts are totally given to him. That's what God is looking for. He's looking for men whose hearts belong to him. And what that means is he's looking for a man whose heart beats for the glory of the living God. I exist for the glory of the living God. He's looking for men that they live their lives in such a way that the world would say, you know what, there is a God and there is a God in Israel. It is a matter of the heart. God is looking for men with hearts that are totally given to him. Then last week we saw something unexpected. Last week we saw that this man, is talking about King David again, we saw that this man who had this heart, who had that heart, we see this man whose life brings glory to God. He's counted still as the greatest king of Israel. We see this man who is called by God himself, a man after his heart. We see that that man, this man, failed miserably. Remember the, the sad account last week? We've, we've, we've known it. We read the account. Sin enters into his heart. It says the fighting men have gone out and he stays at home. He's up on his rooftop and he sees Bathsheba down there and sin enters into his heart and he, he gets his servants to go get the woman and bring her to the palace. And I think about last week, think about those servants. That's our king and that's a, that's a righteous man and that's a man of character. And he's led our nation to honor God. And then the servants, would you go get this lady and bring her to the palace? And they bring her to the palace and, and an affair happens. An a, a, a affair goes on there and she becomes pregnant and then we read that the, the, the story starts to grow and there's, there's a cycle of, of lies that are built into that and there's a, a cover-up that's planned and we, we see him as he becomes a man of character. Now he's a man that lies and hides and tries to cover up his sin. And then we see as it progresses that he actually orders the death, the murder of Uriah the Hittite, this noble man. To cover up his sin, he orders the murder of this man. And we see in the life of David... He messes up. And I'll, I'll just tell you, we need to call it what we need to call it. He sins. Sometimes we're too easy on that. You know what David does? He sins. And he conceives sin in his heart and then he enters into sin and he's consumed in sin. Well, last week we, we, we read the account and Nathan the prophet comes and he comes to, to David and he tells a story. And really he, he takes David's sin and he puts it right there in front of his face. He confronts him with his sin. And there's nowhere to hide. Here comes Nathan and he's the prophet of God and he comes to David and he brings his sin and he puts it right in front of his face. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7, last week we saw this. Nathan says to King David, you are that man. Truth is today, I am that man. You are that man. And we may have good intentions, we have made good, have good ideas, but we, we enter into sin and we shipwreck our lives. 
We enter into sin and we go places we never thought we were going to go. Our lives end up in, in places we never thought they would get to that place. And we, in sin, we ruin, we shipwreck our very lives. The truth is today where you sit, you are that man. I am that man. Now here's the deal. What happens next is really the greatest part of the whole account. And really it's the whole purpose to our, to our study that we've been moving through these five weeks. Here is the key, and we're going to see it today. Why is David a man after God's own heart? Was it because he was courageous? Remember, he goes and he, he kills Goliath, cuts off his head. The rest of the army stands there like a bunch of cowards. Was it because of his courage? Was it because he was a warrior? We read the accounts one after another. He leads the army of Israel into battle, and they, they're victorious in battle after battle. This is a man who wars for the cause of God. Is that why he's a man after God's own heart? Was it because he led the nation to honor God? And he really does. He turns their eyes towards the living God. And, and in his leadership, the nation is honoring God. And a pagan land all around them actually do know there is a God in Israel. Is this why he's a man after God's own heart? As I read those accounts, I would love to be that man. Man, I'd like to be that courageous. I'd like to be that bold. I'd like to have that type of character. I'd like to lead people to honor God. But that's not why he's called a man after God's own heart. Here's, here's the key. I'm going to pick back up in the story. Listen to 2 Samuel, and I'm going to begin in the 12th chapter in the 7th verse. Nathan then said to David, you are that man. Thus says the Lord of God, of the God of Israel, God speaking. It is I who anointed you king over Israel. He says, I made you the king. And it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I defeated your enemy Saul. And it was I who gave you your master's house. I'm the one that gave you the palace that you live in. And your master's wives. I'm the one that gave you your wives. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. I put you over the whole kingdom. And if that had been too little, listen to what God says. I would have added to you many more things like these. I gave you all of this stuff. And if that wasn't enough, I would have given you more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, have taken his wife to be your wife, and you've killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. You're going to have to fight from now on because you have despised me and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. There's going to be conflict in his own house. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion. And he will lie with your wives in the broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. God speaks. Nathan comes and he says, you are that man. This is you. These are your sins. And then God comes and says, you know what? I would have done anything for you. I made you the king. If this wasn't great enough, if you'd have spoken up, I'd have given you those things as well. Why have you despised the word of the living God? Here's what happens next. In Psalm 51, we see David's response. Recorded there, Psalm 51 is the response of King David. Why is he a man after God's own heart? We're going to see it here in Psalm 51. Listen as I move through Psalm 51. 
Listen to David. This is his response. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. He's confronted. God speaks. And his response is this. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, your mercy. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. The verse, the psalm starts off and he asks God for his grace. God, please give me what I do not deserve, his grace. He asked him for his mercy. God, withhold what I do deserve. And that's, that's what he's begging. God, withhold what it is that I've earned. Now, I don't want you to miss the heaviness of this. In the Old Testament law, you know what he had earned? Death. He should have been jerked up. He should have been taken outside, and they should have hurled stones at him until he was smashed out and dead. He deserved to die. That's the law of God. He deserved to die in his sin and he deserved to die because of his sin. The Bible says in the New Testament for us as sinners, the wages of sin is still death. David's confronted with the sin. He knows the sentence that it bears and he says, oh God, that you would show me your grace. Oh God, that you would show me your mercy, that you would blot out my sins. Dear God, verse 2. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now what he's saying here is this, get it off of me. Get it away from me. I'm stained in my sin. I'm marked in my sin. And like filth that covers me, oh God, that you would get it away from me. That you would wash it off of me. Verse three, for I know my transgressions, my sins, and my sin is ever before me. Here's one of the hardest things. One of the hardest things is to know your sin. One of the hardest things is to to know, you know what, I, I may fool these people, but I know my sin. And in my heart, I know my sin. When I wake up in the morning and the the sun comes up and I've got to get up and go to another day, the first thing I remember, I remember my sin. I know my sin. And when I come home and I've worked the course of the day and I've done the things that I'm going to do and I get into bed and I can't sleep because I remember my sin. I can't forget my sin. He says, my sin is ever before me. Now think about his life. It looks pretty good on the outside. He goes to the king's palace. He has, has servants cook his meal. It looks pretty good on the outside. There's Bathsheba in his house. Oh, she was a beautiful woman. She now is his wife. She lives in the house. And they laugh there at dinner. I want to tell you something. He couldn't laugh at dinner and not think about her husband's blood. Killed. An honorable man that was killed. The servants come, and as they hand off the food off the trays, he looks in the servants' eyes. The servants know what's happened. He sees their eyes, and he says, Oh, my sin is ever before me. I'm sick of my sin. Verse 4. Against you, you only I've sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. David tells us this, our sin is against a loving God. Our sin, all sin ultimately is a rebellion against God. Well, it's just doing what you want to do. No, it's not. It's rebelling and rejecting God. God says this is his standard. I don't care about his standard. Well, I got led away. No, you didn't. You rebelled against God. A loving God. Now think about that today. When we sin, we sin against the God who created us. I'm talking about you as an individual. The God that has provided for you. 
How many times do you think, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to make it, and you make it. The God that loves you, the God that has a plan for you, and when we sin, we turn and we rebel against him. Verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, in sin. And in sin, my mother conceived me. Now, what he's talking about here is his, his, his bent to sin, his, his sin nature. It wasn't that his mother had a, a sinful act that, that, that ended up with him being born. He's talking about, I belong to a, to a people of sin. I belong to a, a people that given the choice, we enter into sin. And it's sin that I live in. Now, I want you to start as we listen, as we move through these verses. Listen to his heart. He's grieving over his sin. He's hurting over his sin. Listen, listen to his heart. Listen to what he's saying here. Oh, I hate this. Oh, I wish these things had never happened. Oh, I wish I could go back. I wish I could go back to some point back in time. I wish that I could take it back. Oh, I'm sorry, God. That's what his heart is. Oh, I hate this. He's convicted. He can't hide it. Oh, Lord God, I'm so sorry. Verse 6. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being. And in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. Verse 6 means there's no hiding place. There's, no, there's nowhere to hide it. God knows. God knows your heart. And it's laid open. Your heart's revealed. And, and God desired that there be truth in the innermost part. That there be truth in his heart. But instead of there, there was, there was a lie in his heart. And listen to him as he prays this prayer. It just comes out of him. Oh, God, I wish I'd have never done it. I wish that I could go back. I wish these things hadn't have taken place. I wish I hadn't have sinned against you, Lord. His heart is broken. Hear his plea as he's crushed. And he's broken and he's sick over his sin. Now think about yourself here. This is talking about us. There has, there has to be a point where we go, you know what, I, I, I did it. I knew the right thing. I chose the wrong thing. I, I sinned against the holy God. And when I wake up in the morning, oh, I wish I'd have never done it. And when I go to bed at night, oh, I wish I could forget it. He's crushed over his sin. He's broken over his sin. He, he hates him. He hates the sin in his life. He hates it. Listen to his plea coming out of that, starting in verse 7. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain me with a willing spirit. Listen to what he's saying here. He's saying, oh God, that I could, that I could go back, that you'd restore it. That's what the word means, that you would, you would put it back the way it never happened. God, I'd like to be restored. God, I wish I'd have never looked off that rooftop. That you would sustain me, that you would hold me there. Restore me, but not only that, hold me there. Don't let me go back down this path. He cries out, God, make it the way it used to be. I remember being a young man. I remember being a man that led a nation to honor you. God, make it the way it used to be. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Listen to me today, hear this, here's the key. What made David, David is that David knew 
what he'd done. And he knew the cost of what he'd done. And he knew the hurt of what he'd done. But he knew who to turn to. He knew who was gracious. He knew who was kind. He knew who was merciful and would show him mercy. And so he pleads for God. Really, this is what Psalm 51 is. Oh, God, that you would forgive me. Oh, God, that you would renew me. God, that you would restore me. Oh, God, that you would forgive me. He knew where to turn. Listen to how the story goes. I'm going back to 2 Samuel. He's confronted with his sin. God speaks to him. That's his heart. That's his prayer. Listen to 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. Then David said to Nathan, all right, I've been confronted. I've been caught. I'm broken over my sin. Verse 13, then David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. One line makes all the difference. Psalm chapter 51, verse 10. David is burdened in his sin. He's stained in his sin. He's earned his death in his sin. And he says this. Create in me a clean heart, O God. The word create there in Genesis, it's the same word that's used in the creation account. It actually means to make something. In, in the Genesis account, it means ex nihilo, out of nothing. Make something out of nothing. Create something. Listen to what David prays here. He doesn't say, God, cover up my heart. God, let everybody forget the ugliness of my heart. God, fix my heart. He doesn't say that. He says, God, I need a new heart. God, create in me a new heart. Listen to me, today, as we are, as I am, as you are that man, our hope alone is in a new heart. And a new heart comes alone through Jesus Christ. Hear me very well as we begin to wrap this up today, this, this five-week run. Listen to me, we have a sin issue. And sin has wrecked our lives. Sin has, has separated us from God. Sin has stained us. Sin has injured us. It's injured other folks around us. We have a sin issue. In that sin, we're going to die and be separated from God for eternity. We have a sin issue. But Jesus comes, and the Bible tells us he comes as the remedy for sin. He comes as the ransom for sinners. And he comes and he lives a life he doesn't sin. Because he doesn't sin, he's able to go to the cross of Calvary. And that's, that's what the cross is about. That's what all this is pointing to. And he goes to the cross of Calvary and there he pays the penalty for sin. The Bible says he's beaten until he's not the form of a man. You couldn't tell who he was anymore. And they, they stretch out his arms and they nail him to a cross and there he bears the burden of sin. The Bible says he even becomes our sin. And the perfect lamb of God that has no blemish, he suffers and he dies and his blood runs out there on the cross. They pull him off that cross and our Savior's dead. They put him in a grave. The Bible tells us three days later, with the penalty and the payment of sin now fully and finally paid, he steps out. We call it Easter Sunday morning. He steps out of that grave 
And he is alive and he is victorious and the penalty's been paid and the penalty's been received and he's defeated death and he's defeated the grave and he stands as the risen Savior. Listen to me, the Bible says if you put your faith in him that it can be said of you the same as of David. The Lord has taken away your sin and you shall not die. comes down to this. What about you? What about you? Do you know you're that man? Do you know you've sinned against the holy God? You've earned a punishment. Some of you think, well, I'm too tough. I'm going to tell you something. There's a holy God and justice is going to roll. The Bible says downhill. Do you know that's you? But do you know God's grace extends to you? And what he cried out and begged for, he offers us freely in the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible says if you'll call upon his name, if you'll profess with your mouth what you believe in your heart, God, I'm a sinner. God, come into my heart and save me, forgive me. The Bible says this, you will be saved. You will not die. Penalty lifted. Pardon received. Forgiveness bestowed. You will not die. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. So we stand here today. If you're here and you've never made that decision, I want to give you an opportunity on this day to say, you know what, today I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Today I'm sick of my sin and I'm sick of the, the, the stain of this sin. I'm sick of the punishment of this sin. And if you're here today and you say, you know what, I, today I understand that. Today I put my faith in a risen and resurrected Savior, Jesus, the Lamb that paid the penalty for sin. I want to give you an opportunity to say, today I settle that. Today I settle that. The way we do it, we just pray and we just tell God, I'm a sinner, I'm sorry, forgive me. The best I know how you, I'm going to follow you as my Lord and my Savior. If you've never done that, I want to encourage you as I pray in just a moment that that would be your heart and you would express it towards a living God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come today and I'm thankful for David. I'm thankful not for a courageous man, not for a strong man, not for a bold man, not for a man of character. We saw all of that. But I'm thankful for a sinful man who of no work of his own had no relationship earned of you. I'm thankful for a sinful man that knew where to turn and where to call out for grace and for mercy. I'm thankful for a sinful man that the grace of God was made known and he said, penalty lifted, you shall not die. I pray for us here today, some of us that have, that have come, maybe we've never heard this, maybe we've heard it, but we've, we've rejected it, that today we would say, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm a sinner, forgive me. Lord, the best I know how, I'm going to follow you as my Lord. Come into my, my heart and save me. And I pray for men that, that as we're praying right now, maybe this is the prayer of their heart. Maybe they're saved right now. Lord, let that be. God, forgive me. God, save me. I pray for us here today as followers of Jesus Christ. In a sorry, messed up, corrupt world that's headed very quickly into complete darkness. We would stand upon your word and your truth. And little kids might see a daddy that stands for Jesus Christ. And wives might see a husband that would stand for Jesus Christ. And the church would see men that would stand up again and point to Jesus Christ. A community would know there is a God in Israel. 
We love you. We praise you. We thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.